the hardship. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. In your word, you said, taste and see. The Lord is good. It's just a sample. It's a, you know, we, we, but you do this for us. It's not just a one-time deal. It's even after we've walked with you for many years, sometimes we need that retasting, to taste again, to, re, to that reminder you are good. You're always good. Lord, I pray you help us to lean into you. Help us to overcome the feeling that this is, that it, it, it's sometimes useless to approach you, God. Because our own doubts and our own fears will tell us that what good is this really doing? But you assure us, Lord, that you love us, that you are with us. I pray that you help us to overcome that doubt. Help us overcome that um, that word we get from the world that what good is it to follow after God? What good, what good are you? You're just, you're just you're restricting yourselves. You could be out here living like us and having so much more fun and so much more fulfillment, but it's lies. So help us to draw near to you, Father, and to get a deeper feeling for your heart. In you there is healing, there is joy, there is strength, there is peace. So I thank you, Father. You go on, you never end. There's always, always more of you. So fill us up, Lord. As we get ready to open the word together, Father, I pray you help us to commit this to our heart and know that even when it feels like you have maybe cutting words for us, that it's done in love because you don't want us to go astray. So I thank you, Father, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> thank you, Becky. There was an anointing on that. Praise God. <clears throat> Go ahead and turn over to Mark chapter 8, if you would. I cheated. I'm already turned over there. So, I guess that's a perk of already knowing what we're talking about. <laughs> so, we have, uh, we have the kids in with us today. So, at the end, I'm, gonna, I'm getting back to, you know, if you guys pay attention, I got, question, I got questions at the end, and you can get yourself some. Tammy got a bunch of, like, Valentine's Day, Valentine-themed candies. And, of course, that makes it taste better because it's a heart on the wrapper, right? <coughs> Pardon me. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into this. You know, we've, we've got a couple stories here in the Word that uh, revolve around Jesus. And so if you're in Mark chapter 8, look down with me at verse 27. Um, it says, I'm going to read this out of the NLT. 
Now, we have that on the sheet, right, Bill? I, did I remember to give that to you that's in the NLT? Okay, great. All right. All of a sudden, I had a moment where I was doubting myself. All right. Verse 27 says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You are the Messiah, or the Savior, you know, the Messiah, the 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 the, 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 the the Jewish word is anointed, the anointed one. Uh, the Greek word Christ is the same. It's just it's the same word. It's just Greek. It means anointed. So if you ever find yourself talking to a Jewish person about Jesus, and they they talk about you know Jesus Christ, let them know. You know the word Christ just means Messiah, right? It means anointed. They'll be like, really? Didn't know that. And you make you know he's your Messiah. <laughs> he's your Messiah. So verse 30, it says, but Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, a couple things here. Jesus is walking along on the road with his disciples. It's always an adventure with Jesus. You know, they never knew exactly where they'd end up or what kind of miraculous thing that they'd see Jesus do. It's exciting, you know. But as they're walking, Jesus turns and he starts asking them. He says, uh, what are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And uh, so, because you imagine, I mean, Jesus is ministering and his disciples are hanging out in the crowd and there's people, they could hear what people are saying. So Jesus is just saying, who do people say I am? And so they tell him, they say, okay, well, uh, some say that you're John the Baptist, some are saying you're Elijah, you know. And of course, they're not right. They're not, they're not right at all. There are people out there who think they know who Jesus is. Even in churches, you know, you'll, you'll come across people that they don't really know who Jesus is. We can sing all the right songs, spend time around people who do know him, give of our time, give of our resources, but none of those things can make us know Jesus. You could probably quote Jesus out of the Bible. You could, you could say exactly something that Jesus has said, and there'd be somebody that would say, Jesus would never say anything like that. Come on. You know. I had, you know, in, in talking about knowing Jesus and, and knowing, uh, really knowing someone, you know, uh, one of my teachers at Rama talked about a time that he and his, his wife and a few of their friends, had a, like there was like three or four couples, they all went out to eat and they, they told the kids, okay, you all go and get your own table and just, you know, go, just go, just go, you know, because the adults want to talk, right? And so the adults are talking and they're talking about ministry, things, things of that nature. But he said that as they're talking, he all of a sudden found himself kind of, withdrawing from the conversation, kind of spacing out a little bit. Have you ever, you know, people are talking around you and you just kind of find yourself thinking about things and you're not really paying attention to what they're saying and, he start, and he's, he's looking at his best friend, his best friend sitting on his left and he starts thinking because God's dealing, him with, dealing um, with him on the subject of, of interests. And he's like, does this, he's my best friend, he's been my best friend for many years, does he, but does he really know what sparks me, what really interests me? And he said, as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? No, I can't say that he does. And so he starts going around the rest of the circle, the rest of the people, and he's like, no, does this person really know? No, no, they don't really know. 
He said, they know who I am, they know what I do, but they don't really know what interests me, what sparks me. And he got around to his wife, and he says, and she's really the only one who he could say for sure really knows. He's like, she's the only one who really knows what, what interests me. You know, and he said, he said, because you can't know a person just because of who they are or what they do, you also have to really understand what interests them, what drives them, what motivates them. And see, when the disciples told Jesus what the people were saying about him, you know, they're only going by what he does. Well, he, he heals the sick, he turns water to wine, he casts out demons, he, he does miracles, so he must be a prophet, he must be John the Baptist, or he must be Elijah or one of the other prophets, you know, it's almost, it's almost like, they're, it's like pick your favorite prophet, you know, which prophet do you think Jesus is, you know, because apparently in their mind he couldn't be himself, he had to be some other prophet that they had heard about in the past. And, and so, you know, it's pretty obvious that they were all wrong. And it was only someone who had spent much time with Jesus that could say with any accuracy who he was. Peter's like, you're the Messiah. You know. And of course, Jesus tells them then not to reveal that to anyone, that he's the Messiah. Now, that didn't make a lot of sense to people. You know, why wouldn't Jesus want people to know he's the Messiah? Why wouldn't he take credit for the things that he's doing? But we need to remember that the people of the time were expecting the Messiah to come and deliver them from the Romans. Okay? The Romans had taken over Israel. They were just thinking about it in, in terms of physical freedom from men. We want you to liberate our country. But, of course, God's vision is much larger than that. God meant, always meant for the Messiah to give all of mankind, spiritual freedom from sin. He's, he's, he's looking at delivering mankind from a different kind of bondage. Like we said, you know, you accept Christ and, and God now has given you his nature so you have a new nature to respond from when you're tempted. It's like, I could, I, yeah, I could sin or I could respond from this new nature that God's given me. In other words, you have the power to overcome sin because of what Jesus has done. And so what, what Jesus was doing then was that he, he was waiting to be known as the Messiah until after his resurrection, after he would rise from the dead. Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I might know him, know him and the power of his resurrection. And see, even, even though Peter knew who Jesus is and what Jesus does. See, Peter, got, Peter was closer than the, other, than the other people. He knew who Jesus is. He, he knew what Jesus does, and, but we read on from here, and we'll see that even Peter didn't have a full understanding of what Jesus was interested in, of what was driving Jesus, okay? So, let's, so we'll see that Jesus has to do some tweaking for Peter that was really uncomfortable to him. Look at verse 31. It says, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man, he's, when he says Son of Man, he's talking about himself, that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. See, this is the prophetic. Jesus was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet, more than just a prophet. So he is prophesying. He's, he said, they're going to kill me, but, but I'm going to be raised from the dead after three days. Verse 32 says, as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. What does that mean? No, no, Jesus, no, no, you don't, don't talk like that. Don't say that you're going to die, no. Why? Because Peter's still thinking 
we're gonna, we ha- you can't die before we overthrow the Romans. What are you talking about? All right. Verse 33, Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. Okay, so it's a tough day when Jesus calls you Satan to your face. You know, uh, this is a serious rebuke. It's like, did you just, you called me Satan? You know? But if you find yourself being corrected by God, cheer up. Be of good cheer. Because in Revelation 3.19, Jesus said, those I love, I rebuke, and discipline. So if you find that you're being rebuked by God for something, that means he loves you. (laughs) You ever notice that that word disciple is very similar to the word discipline? (laughs) Your entire life here on this earth is training time with Jesus. And parts of this, the, the training that you have will be like this moment here with Jesus and Peter. But you understand that Jesus wasn't telling Peter that he was literally Satan. But Peter was telling Jesus not to go to the cross. That's why Jesus came. Jesus could have avoided the cross. If you read the trial, he didn't defend himself. He didn't defend himself before the the Jewish High Council or before Pilate. Why? Because he was supposed to go to the cross. So he chose not to defend himself. It would have been easy for him to avoid going to the cross. But then he wouldn't have become the sacrifice for our sin. Like when Jesus realized that it was time to, to go to Jerusalem for this, he said... What, what, what do I say? Father, save me from this hour? He said, but this is why I came. Because he didn't want to go to the cross. You understand, he didn't want to physically suffer that way. But he chose to do it anyway. So this is a temptation, actually. Because it's something, because Peter is saying, you don't, don't do that. And so what, so what he's doing is, is, is Jesus doesn't, he already is having trouble with this. He's struggling with it. But he's doing it anyway because that's what the father told him to do. So he's doing it anyway. But here comes Peter. You, you don't have to do that. And so Jesus gets, Jesus has to, <laughs> what, what Peter was doing was he was actually setting himself as a stumbling block to Jesus because he was tempting Jesus to take the easy way out. And Jesus responded by identifying Peter with the tempter then, Satan. You're tempting me. You're acting like Satan. Satan's the tempter. The word calls him that. And so this is right, right here at this moment. This is where Peter finds out what God is interested in. See, Peter already knew who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and now he's going to see this is what Jesus is interested in. Jesus is not interested in overthrowing the Romans. He is interested in throwing sinners a lifeline by, uh, by, by going to the cross for us. See, God will tweak your perception on things. And, you know, just be aware that we live in a time and a culture where people are sluggish about gathering facts. Nowadays, people see a meme on Facebook that states some opinion, and they're quick to all agree with it because it sounds good. 
And it's, e- it's just easier to agree with it than to actually do some digging to see if it's true, right? But if a person wants to get to know God, that takes longer than just reading a meme here or there. I just want you to be aware of the type of thinking that people have here because these are the people that you're trying to win to Jesus. So I want you to be aware of how they think. Jesus can teach you how to win any type of people group. That's, that's kind of implied when Jesus told Peter, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. All mankind. Jesus can teach you how to win anybody. But know that as you spend time walking with Jesus, training with Jesus, that more and more Jesus will teach you to think like him, talk like him, and act like him. And that requires God reaching into our hearts sometimes to make an adjustment on some things. You know, I'm glad that the kids are here in here with us today because I, I truly believe that a lot of the success that I've had in my life was because I learned at an early age to receive correction. Not that I always receive correction as, as, as quickly as I should have or, you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm a pretty stubborn person by nature. So I'm glad that God dealt with me about it early. Or you could say that he, tra- he started training me early. God will train somebody. Um, I mean, as, as soon as somebody sets their heart to understand him, he'll start training. You know. That's why I titled today's message Training Time with Jesus. But you could actually subtitle it How to Receive Correction. Because correction has to be received. You know, and, and uh, because I can, because someone can give me a word of correction but I don't have to receive that, receive that, you understand? And so, you know, when, and I had actually, you know, um, in my heart, you know, this, this simple phrase came up, how to receive correction, came up in my heart as I was praying about what to talk about. And, and so at first I thought, well, I will, um, I will talk about that more in depth with the adults next week. But then it didn't seem right in my heart. It's like, let's, let's um, because I feel, I feel like in my heart that God is, you know, driving us forward but I know that I have to get this out now. And so we don't want to sit there and beat something to death, you know. Um, so the first thing, because remember that, remember, do you remember when Jesus said, uh, if, if you have someone, if something has, someone has something against you, go to them and talk to them privately. If they hear you, you've won your brother. If they don't hear you, take some witnesses. If they don't hear you and the witnesses, take it before the church. You know that God follows that same progression, he follows his own rule. So you, you find, I mean, I've had times in my life where God's dealt with me about something personally. And I noticed that if I let that go for a while and don't really deal with it, then all of a sudden someone comes and talks to me. It's like, there's no way that they should know. You know what I mean? Except that if God told them to come, you know, and so God will follow this. He, he, it's like he, he will come to you personally. And then if you don't receive that, then he will bring somebody with him. And then he'll take it before the church. There's a story that Brother Hagen told. Actually, I don't think that Brother Hagen told it, but it's about him. Somebody told him. That's the guy that uh, started the Bible college I went to. They were in a worship service. And it was during the music time. The, the band's up playing. It's awesome, you know. Well, all of a sudden, Brother Hagen came up on stage because God gave him a word of knowledge. And he turned around to the guy singing. And he said, if you don't stop what you're doing, I will remove you from your place. What does that, does that, and of course, then everybody's like, oh no, he's going to read my mail, you know. He's going to start talking about what I've been doing. But that's not really what was happening. What was happening is the man had, God had dealt with him personally. He wouldn't listen. 
So then God sent people to him privately who wouldn't listen. So what did God do? He took it before the church. See, God follows the same progression. So it's like, I, I've, 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 I took that lesson to heart. It's like, okay, I'm going to take care of it. So God brings something up with me. I'm going to take care of it before it gets to the point where it's got to be taken before the church. Amen. And so what I want to say, I want to give you a couple of things is that when someone gives you a word of correction, because just because someone gives you a word of correction doesn't mean it's right. Okay. So first of all, is it biblical? Can you find it in the Bible? If someone says, you've been doing this and God's telling me to tell you to stop. Okay. Well, now, if you read that, that would technically be prophecy because prophecy is anything that God is inspiring somebody to say. That's the gift of prophecy. Okay. The word talks about that. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort unto men. Exhortation, correction falls under exhortation. So, well, the word also says that prophecy is to be judged. Okay, so the first thing is someone says, God's been telling me this, and you should know it, that you've been doing this, and you shouldn't be. The first thing you say is, is it biblical? Can I find it in the word? Because I'm going to judge it. If it's biblical, then you have to say, does it apply to me? See, because sometimes God's dealing with somebody, else, somebody about something, and they think that, it's, that they're supposed to talk to other people about it, but no, God's talking to them. There was a, a minister one time in um, California that actually he was a youth minister, and he was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a church we went to, but it was a different church that uh, my brother-in-law went to, and he was a teenager at the time, so he's in the youth. And the guy for weeks is talking about preaching against fornication. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Well, then it comes out he was doing that. What happened? Well, God was telling him to, to deal with it, and he took that to mean I need to preach this to the youth. So is it biblical? Yeah. But does it apply to the youth at the time? No, it applied to him. You see what I'm saying? So when someone gives you a word of correction, you say, is it biblical? And now does it apply to me? Is, it, is, this, is this something that I know I'm going through? You know. So then once you, they pass, it's passed those two tests, then you say, okay, well, then how can I apply this to my life? That's receiving it. Amen? We all okay with that? Because people, people don't always, people aren't always acting in your best interests when they, when they talk to you about things. Okay, so let's go to another true story here of training time with Jesus. Turn with me to the next chapter. We're in chapter 8, just look at chapter 9, down at verse 30. And this is where we're just going to get a little bit deeper into to, uh, talking about God's heart. What is God's heart on matters? Didn't realize that that song, that last song was going to play so much into this. It's awesome. God would like to remind me that he knows better than me. All right. You're down at, uh, wait a minute. I think I got it a little ahead of myself. Oh, no. Yeah, we're right. Verse 30. Verse 30. I love reading about Jesus talking to the disciples. It says, leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. Jesus wants to do the same thing with us. He wants to spend more time with us and teach us. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Why are they afraid? Because they don't want to go through another correction time. You know, it's, well, let's not ask him about that. Maybe, he, maybe he'll say something else that'll, that we'll understand and then we'll get it, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. Verse 33, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. 
Now, isn't that just human nature? You know, it's like, uh-oh, he knows. <laughs> See, we just sort of do things, you know, and, but then when God shines a light on what we're doing, we don't always like what we see. Like, ooh, that didn't seem so bad at the time I was saying it, you know. And see, arguing about being the greatest is obviously a pride issue. So what's Jesus going to do? He's going to reach into their heart now and make an adjustment. Verse 35. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. Okay, so here's the adjustment. Having a humble heart is more valuable than being someone important. But notice that Jesus said, Whoever welcomes a little child like this on my behalf, my behalf. Jesus expects us to do things on his behalf, actually our whole life. You know, over in Romans 12, it talks about being a living sacrifice. You know, uh, present yourselves a living sacrifice unto God. When we do that, when, when everything that we do in life refre- reflects Christ, then our entire life becomes an act of worship to God. Okay? So this means then, to do things on his behalf all the time, that means doing things the way that he would do them. You know, and it's not, that, it's not as complicated as people make it out to be, you know. I mean, I heard a minister one time talking about, uh, because he, he said, he said we, we are called ambassadors of Christ. You know, you know that scripture? Jesus calls us his ambassadors. Well, an ambassador is somebody who goes someplace to represent somebody else. To represent, you know, like, uh, you know, if the president of a certain country has an, appoints an ambassador to China. Okay, I want you to go represent the, me and the country to China. Uh, in other words, I want you to, to tell them what we're interested in. I want you to tell them what, uh, what our policies are. I want you to tell, the, I want, and if they have questions, I want you to answer them as I would. Right, And if you're going to do that, then an ambassador then, if they're going to be a good ambassador, they need to start spending time around that president to find out what his policies are, to find out what his interests are, so that he can accurately represent, you know, not only say what the same leader would say, but also say them how that leader would say it, to represent them to that, to that nation. I always think it's interesting watching, watching you know, videos and stuff where you can see uh, like an ambassador, uh, you know, like the ambassador actually can get kind of snippy with the person in charge because they're representing their, it's like, how, how can they get away with saying that? It's because their leader has appointed them and said, I trust you to represent me. So anything that they say, it's as though the leader himself is saying it. So when we represent Jesus, we should be doing the same. Not only say things, not only say his words, but also say them how he would say them. I believe there's going to be a lot of people who on Judgment Day will have a hard time because they may have been quoting this, but did they, did they quote it with God's heart? You know? Because people can get pretty mean with this. 
Anyway, Jesus was harsh with people sometimes, but it was always in love. Okay, we're down to verse 30. Are we okay with that? I'm just saying we don't need to live according to a 50-pound rule book, you know, because we complicate things. And right here, we have, another, we have an example of things being complicated. Look, look at verse 38. So Jesus just got done saying this. Anyone who welcomes a little child like, the, like, like this on my behalf. That's a pretty, that's a pretty um, uh, simple statement. And so it, it, it's like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm representing Christ to people. Okay. But then John said, in verse 38, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. But we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. He's not in our denomination. He's not in our circle. He's not, okay? Verse 39, Jesus said, don't stop him. (laughs) Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. So Jesus, so his, John's qualifier is he's not in our group. But Jesus said that's not the qualifier. The qualifier is if they believe in me. Right? He said if anyone gives you even a cup of water, why? Because you belong to the Messiah. Jesus knows who are his. Okay. See, he's, t- he's talking still about how we act on his behalf. We don't have to be in a special group to belong to Jesus and work for him. There are churches out there that will tell you, if you don't go to this church, you're not saved. Now, what? That's not what the Bible says. It's not. Jesus is more concerned. He's not so concerned about the denomination or or whatever. He's more concerned with how we act on his behalf. He tells John, don't forbid this guy to cast out demons in my name. If he's not against us, he's for us. Obviously, he has success. He must must believe in me, truly, if if it's working for him. Right? Because if he didn't truly believe in Jesus, it wouldn't work. It's like the, uh, the, the sons of Sceva. You read about that over in Acts. These, these, seven, these seven Jewish guys, were trying to, they were casting out demons. And they told a, de- a certain uh, guy that was possessed with demons, they told the demon, we cast you out in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. What does that mean? We, we know a guy that knows a guy. So they don't really know Jesus, right? The difference here is this guy was actually successful. So Jesus is like, if he, if he works a miracle in my name... He can't, he, he, can't, he, he can't soon speak evil of me, you know. So he's like, don't forbid him. And then he says, and then don't cause other believers to sin. He talks about that in, in verse 42. He said, but if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. That's a warning. That's, that's, that is, he's saying, don't cause other believers to sin. You know, and if you think about it, those are pretty simple instructions. Don't forbid somebody who's working miracles in my name, and also don't cause other believers to sin. You think about it, that's pretty simple. I think that we get too hard on ourselves sometimes. 
you know, if you feel like you're having trouble with something, talk to God about it. If it's truly a problem, he'll help you with it. You know, Jesus rebukes and disciplines those he loves. He said so. I think it's better to go to God first and, you know, before he, if I recognize something going on, you know, if I recognize that I've, I've got an issue, it's better to go to him first and say, Lord, I, I think that I've got an issue here. And then the discipline isn't so painful because he'll either say, yes, you're right, or no, don't worry about that. I mean, anything that, I mean, anything that he has said is sin it, it, ex- explicitly. That's obvious. You know, I think maybe I shouldn't be lying, Lord. He'd say, yeah, obviously, you know. And so there's some serious words here in the next few verses. Let's go ahead and look at them because I like to, like to kind of go, th- you know, let's hit some, hard, some uh, difficult to understand scriptures. So verse 43, <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking, remember this. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. See, now here he's talking about explicit sin, things he has said is sin, you know, because that's the penalty for, hell is the penalty for that. Okay, verse 45, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. I've actually heard people gasp before when I've read these verses out loud. Like, what? You understand he's not talking about physically cutting parts of your body off. He's making, what's he doing here? He's making adjustments. If you have something in your life that you recognize is causing you to sin, cut that thing out of your life. That's what he's saying. You know, many years ago, I'll just give an example. Many years ago, God dealt with me about how I was spending my time. I was playing video games into the twilight hours. I mean, really late or early, if you want to, really, really early. And it was causing me to fall asleep at work. I thought I was okay because I wasn't taking time out of time I was spending with my wife. I wasn't taking time out of out of the time I spent with my kids, I was taking it out of my sleep. So I thought, oh, it's okay. But I've fallen asleep at work. Does God want us to fall asleep at work? No. Sin is just anything that God, that God doesn't want us to do. So if I think to myself, God wouldn't want me doing this, but I do it anyway, <laughs> that's sin. Because I, I'm violating my conscience. So I had to cut that late night game time out of my life. I had to cut it out. I had to stop. And, you know, there are people out there that would say, well, that's not really a serious issue. But it works the same with any other action that God identifies as sin. Stealing, lying, drug addiction, anything like that. Those things can, they can be painful to cut out of our lives. You know, some people have been doing those things for so long that cutting them out can actually feel like losing a part of themselves. I mean, think about if somebody who was a professional con man came to the realization, I'm going to have to stop lying if I want, if, you know, I've accepted Jesus, but that means, see, that's a, that's a crossroad. Somebody's a professional con man. They're out there. Okay, a, a, and the con man would say, okay, I've gotten saved. I accept it. I said out loud that Jesus is the Lord, and I do believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, but now I'm at a crossroads because my profession requires me to lie for a living. Right? Then it, so it would actually, if they cut that out of their life, they've got to stop being a con man. They've got to stop lying. It would actually literally feel like they've lost a part of themselves, right? 
right? I mean, it's, it's their job. And there's something they've done their whole life. So it's, it, would be, it would feel like they've lost an eye, they've lost a hand, they've lost a foot. That's what Jesus is talking about. See, Jesus is like, that's not worth holding on to. Get rid of it. So verse 49. Jesus says, for everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning. But if salt, or excuse me, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. That may seem like a strange wording, like a, a way that's like, well, that's, a, that's kind of a strange thing to say. But Je- remember, Jesus is still, he's still talking to them about the same thing. Remember, he said, what were you talking about on the road? He's still addressing the same issue. So he, he's saying, he's, he's tweaking their thinking. He's saying, you're, you shouldn't be arguing with yourself. You should be at peace with one another. People use, say, so what are the qualities of salt? He said, you must have the qualities of salt. Well, people use salt as a preservative to keep food from going bad. He's telling them to have that same quality of preservation in how they treat each other so that their relationships don't go bad. We have this new thing that people love to talk about, toxic relationships. This relationship has become toxic. Like it's a new thing, you know. That's been happening for that's been happening since the fall of mankind. Relationships have been toxic. It's just that we've taken a a new word, and we've applied it to that. What's Jesus saying? Don't let your relationships get toxic. You must have the qualities of salt. You must, have, you must be at peace with one another. You know? See, Jesus honestly didn't want them to feel bad about themselves when he talked with them about these things. Because, you know, if you feel bad about yourself, that can stop you from moving forward. He, didn't, he doesn't want people to feel bad about it. About, about who they are. You know, he's, he's, he's trying to help them. He's trying to help them grow. When I read the Gospels, sometimes I think that the disciples probably felt like they were always messing up. You know, oh man, we messed up again. Jesus is having to sit us down again. You know, but you know, that's not really the case. You know, this is, this is written down for our benefit. You read over in the Gospel of John at the very end of it, John said, I don't think, I mean, all the miracles that Jesus did, he said, I don't think that the, the entire world full of books could contain it. So then what is this? This is, this is things that, are, that God had, has recorded for our benefit, for our training. So I imagine that they probably weren't chastised as much as it looks like. Maybe they were, I don't know. But I, don't, I don't think so. But, but the reason I think that is because he let, the, he let the disciples take part in the work. If you read it, the disciples got to cast out demons too. They got to heal the sick. They got to travel with Jesus, eat with Jesus, talk with him, train with him, work by his side. And after he rose from the dead, then anyone who believed in Jesus has done the same thing in a spiritual sense. Because you know, Jesus is like, it's, it's, it's important to you that I go away. In John, he said, it's important to you, you're, you're weeping because I'm telling you that I'm leaving you. He said, but it's, impo- it's good that I go away, you should rejoice because my father's greater than I am. I'm going to my father and I will send the Holy Spirit to you. When he said another comforter, he said, the Greek actually reads, someone exactly like me. In other words, the Holy Spirit, he's saying the Holy Spirit, what I have been to you, he will be to you. So then if Jesus had just, just if he hadn't gone to the cross and he had just stayed walking the earth, he could only be in one place at one time. 
but when he rose from the dead, now he can be with us all simultaneously, 24-7. So then, for almost 2,000 years now, we've been living in Jesus, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, winning people to Jesus. All is a part of our daily lives. That's the way it should be. It should just be a part of daily life. Just whatever happens to come our way, Jesus said, you know, deal with it this way. Okay, I'll take care of that. So the training time that you spend with God, even when you feel like all he's doing is correcting you, because I've had times like that where it's like, man, this feels like he's got his thumb on me all the time. But it's not always like that. You know. I remember one time, um, we were, we were still at Bible college, we were at Rama, and God had been so faithful, because we were like, there's no way, there's no way um, in, you know, in the natural that we're going to be able to get from California to Oklahoma. We don't have the money, we don't have, we don't have the resources, we just, we just can't do it, so we're relying on God. I remember Tammy wrote a list of things that we would need. And one by one, all those things got checked off the list without us really trying. God just, you know, someone would say, here, you want this? We got this for you. And God provided all these things, and it was difficult to get there. But when, when we got there, it was like, man, God is so faithful. And then after a couple years while we were there, all of a sudden that, that theme of faithfulness started coming up again. They started mentioning it. Um, ministers that I was listening to would mention it. People would mention it in, in talking, just, just conversation. And I noticed that this theme of faithfulness is coming up, and I'm like, I know, I know that God is faithful, so why is this coming up? But I, but I was like, okay, let's, let's pull a Mary and just keep this in my heart, you know, because I'm not going to come against it, you know, because if it's, maybe God's doing, reminding me of this for a reason, or maybe I don't have a full understanding, because you can always get more understanding of God's faithfulness or any, anything about God, really, because God's infinite. So there's always more love, more faithfulness, more peace, more joy. So you can, you can, you can go, as, you, as, you, as God corrects us in life, we learn, I learn more about his faithfulness because the, in that particular case, I'm like, why does this keep coming up? Why do people keep talking about this? All of a sudden, something hit us big. And if I hadn't heard that word, I probably would have crumbled. If I hadn't, I was, okay, God, you told me many times before this happened that you reminded me that you are faithful. And if I hadn't had that reminder, it would have been so hard to get through it. So even if it feels like, why am I being corrected? God might be getting you ready for something down the line. Okay? So the training time you spend with him, he's doing it out of love. And it'll all be well worth it. Training time, they have a saying at Rayma: training time is never lost time. Because sometimes you feel like, God's given me something to do, but I'm just sitting here in training. When am I going to get out to do it? Training time is never lost time. Don't want to go out into ministry half-baked. Amen. Well, did you get anything out of this? Was it helpful to you? Okay. Praise God. That's good. That's what we're looking for. All right. What I'm going to do is pray, and then I'll dismiss you all, and then I'll have questions for the kids, and you can stay for those if you want to, or you can, you can go, you know, whatever you, whatever you need to do. So, Father, once again, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, that your words are not never meant to harm, but that you desire us to grow in you, walk with you, 
be by your side. You don't ever want us to leave. And so we thank you, Lord, for your love and your faithfulness. And I ask, Lord, that uh, you bless everyone as they go. Uh, you bless them with what they need. You provide them opportunities to share Jesus with people in their life and be a witness for you and be an ambassador for you. And we thank you, Father, and praise you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody. Yes, ma'am. B? Nice to meet you, B. I'm Phil. <laughs> huh? Yes. Welcome. Good to have you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, you guys ready for questions? I've only, got, I've only got four of you guys in here with me today, so I guess I could do that. You going to answer questions, Asher? You, you have, are you going to answer questions or? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't need to ask him. He's pretty, he's pretty bold. Okay. Okay, you all ready? I'm going to start with a couple of easy ones here, just because I'm easing myself back into asking you questions. Is that okay if I give you a couple easy questions first? Now, you remember the rules. Don't shout out the answers. Raise your hand, and Mr. Bill back there is our mediator, and if your hand goes up first, that's cheating. <laughs> I haven't asked the question yet. Okay. If you have your hand up before I ask the question, by the way, Mr. Bill will ignore your hand, and he will look for somebody who actually waits till the question is over, and then, okay. I've been back and forth many times about whether I should have uh, questions for the adults, too. Maybe I should have, like, adult questions, like kid questions, and then have a round of adult questions, and I'll have a scoreboard up here, kids versus adults, you know. Okay. <laughs> Number one, does God discipline us because he hates us? Wow, that's a tough call. Timothy? No, good job. <laughs> Go ahead and come on up here and get your... Choose your, choose your chocolatey poison. Okay. Number two. Does God discipline us because he is angry with us? That was Luke. No, you got it. All right. Number three. You almost beat a masher. I saw that, but not quite. He was a little quicker on the draw. Does God discipline us because we can never do anything right? Well, you already went, Timothy. You got to wait. You got to wait. Yep. So who was that? Was that Asher or Samuel? I think it was. Asher? You want, to, you want the question again? You want to hear the question again? Okay. Does God discipline us because we can never do anything right? No, that's right. Good job. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw kind of... Now I'm going to go straight to a tough one. And you're the last one, Samuel, so this is your question. It's like pastor's kid gets all the tough questions. What's that about? All right. Why does God discipline us? <laughs> we said it many times. That is true. Okay, I'll give you that one. That is, that is true. All right, that is true. For us to learn. That is correct. Okay, give, give, me, give me another reason. Because now you guys are all... I think that was Asher this time, Timothy. Was that right? Yeah? Okay. Give me another reason why God, because he loves us. That's exactly right. Go ahead and come on up. Yep. Jesus said those exact words. All those I love, I rebuke and discipline. All right. I'm going to move on from this one. So, num number five. Something like that. Number six, I don't even know. I lost track. Okay, so I've still got you guys, you three here. We're five. Okay. There are, now, this is another hard one, you guys. I mentioned earlier there are three things that you need to know to really know a person. Three things about them. 
Do you remember one of them? Luke? That's right, what they're interested in. That's exactly right. That's the hard one, what they are interested in. I would, I would, I would say that, that's, that, that's, that falls under that. Okay, can you guys give me another one of those? There was two, there's two more. Right, Samuel? Yeah, what they do. Yep, come on up. There's one more. Do you remember it? It's kind of a hard one. You got it, Asher? <laughs> it's the first one on the list. So it's blank and then what they do and what they're interested in. It's kind of a hard one. You do? Huh? Oh, pass. Okay, that's fine. No, I'll just tell you what it is. Who they are. Who they are, what they do, and what they're interested in. Yep. Okay, so then can you, can you tell me, since we already got the interested one, can, can you guys tell, who, who's left in this round? I'm not even paying attention. Is it just Asher? Or is it you, Timothy, too? Okay, so you guys are still in this round. I, t- I kept better track of that than I thought. Okay. Can you tell me something that God is interested in? I think that was Timothy. Us. Yeah, he is interested in us. That's right. There's really a lot of things he's interested in. So, Ashley, you got another one? What is God interested in? <laughs> I know that you know it. It's the, well, the one we have on here is the lost. But there's many things. He's interested, like you said, you know, to learn. God wants us to learn. Yeah, yeah. He's interested in that. He wants us to grow. Okay, I think. Oh, I've got two more, and and you guys are still. I've just got two more. So whoever whoever gets the, whoever gets the last, yes. Yeah, well, we'll do free for all. I will. I will let Asher answer this. What? Teams? No, 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 we're not breaking any teams. I've already kept people a minute past 12. All right. True or false? Training time with God is never lost time. Is that true or false? That, was, that is true. Let's get the last one to Asher because uh, that was supposed to be Asher's question, Samuel. Samuel, I had interesting, an interesting time of correction this morning. I went into the... To, is it okay if I tell you guys a story? So I went into the, to the kitchen this morning, and they have these little there's these little waffles that you can that you can put on your coffee cup, and it'll heat the heat the waffle. And I'm like I'm like I don't even know if there's any of those left, right? So I go into the kitchen, and I'm like I open the thing, and the box is in there. I'm like, all right, there's still one left. And I open the box, and I, what do you think? The box is empty. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I brought all the kids and I said, I'm not judging anybody and I'm not gonna pass any blame. I just, I just described the situation to them. I said, you walked in, the box is empty. I said, has, any of this, has that ever happened to you? And they all said, yes, it's happened to me. And I'm like, please, if you're the last one to use something, throw it away, throw away the box. And then Samuel was like, it was me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, to, okay, anyway. <laughs> true or false, Asher, true or false? As we walk with God, sometimes he will reach in our heart and make an adjustment. That's true. You got it. Come on up. Okay, that's it. That's all I got. That's all she wrote. 
All right, so I'll dismiss you all again. Blessings to you guys. If you need prayer or anything, come on down. And that's it. Bless you guys as you go.